Earlier this week, our diocese received the news that we have a new bishop. Speaking for myself, and I think for most of my brother priests, we are overjoyed. Most everyone, I think, feels that Bishop Michael Burbage will be a great fit for the Diocese of Arlington. All indications are that his Episcopal ministry will be marked by largely the same priorities that animated Bishop Laverde, which have made the Arlington Diocese one of the most vibrant in the country. So please join in praying for Bishop Burbage as he winds down his leadership of the Raleigh Diocese and prepares to be installed as our new bishop on December 6th. Of course, please pray also for Bishop Laverde as a thank you for his many years of service to our diocese. Pray that God will grant him a holy and fruitful retirement. St. Paul says in 1 Timothy that whoever aspires to the office of bishop aspires to a noble task. As the Catechism says, bishops are the visible source and foundation of unity in their own particular diocese. Because of apostolic succession, they trace their authority directly to the original apostles. They teach, sanctify, and govern that portion of the universal church that we refer to as a diocese. It's a delightful and perhaps providential coincidence that our new bishop will take office in December within a few days of when our eighth graders will receive the sacrament of confirmation. We recall that in the words of the Second Vatican Council, by the sacrament of confirmation, the baptized are more perfectly bound to the church and are enriched by a special strength of the Holy Spirit. Hence, they are, as true witnesses of Christ, more strictly obliged to spread and defend the faith by word and by deed. Hopefully, these words serve as a reminder that, as important as a bishop is to his diocese, spreading and defending the faith by word and deed is not solely the province of the bishop, or only the work of priests or deacons or religious sisters or catechists, or people who have degrees in theology from a Catholic college. As Christians, our spiritual life does not merely consist of attending Mass and receiving the sacraments, nor does it end with prayer or obeying the commandments. Rather, as Christians, each of us participates in the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Next Sunday is World Mission Sunday, in which the Universal Church gives a special focus to prayer for missionary efforts. It was started in 1926 by Pope Pius XI. At that time, people probably had a pretty clear sense of what a mission was. It was a group of Catholics, priests, religious, perhaps some laity, venturing forth to educate, serve, and evangelize people in some poor corner of the world. It was seen as a going out from the established strongholds of Christianity in Europe and North America to the pagan peoples of Africa, Asia, and parts of South America. But the situation today is much more varied. In many cases, the Christian faith is weakest where it had once been strongest and strong in places where it was only recently planted. Perhaps this shouldn't surprise us. As Our Lady said, it is the habit of God to cast down the mighty from their thrones and to lift up 
the lowly. Because of this, there's an increasing recognition that some of the most important frontiers of missionary work are in our own backyards. Traditional, traditional missionary work to places in the global south is still important, and of course it needs our full support. But as St. John Paul the Great said, we need to be at heart a mission-shaped church. Each of us has to be an instrument of the new evangelization. The call to conversion has to echo in our neighborhoods, in our schools, and in our workplaces, even in our own families. Too many of our friends and neighbors and even family have abandoned the faith, and many who are practicing in some respects don't really understand the faith very well, and they don't pay it much heed outside of an hour a week on Sunday mornings. In the second reading, St. Paul gives us one of the earliest examples of a kerygma, which is a short proclamation of the faith directed towards the conversion of unbelievers. He says, remember, Jesus Christ raised from the dead, a descendant of David. And if we have died with him, we shall also live with him. If we persevere, we shall also reign with him. In a sense, this is a short summation of the entirety of the gospel, the entirety of the scriptures. As Christians, all of us should be prepared to present our charisma to anybody when the opportunity presents itself. As St. Peter tells us, always be prepared to give an explanation to anyone who demands a reason for our hope. But we cannot just sit back waiting to proclaim the faith to persons as opportunities present themselves. In a like manner to the brave missionaries of old who ventured abroad, we need to seek out those in our own community who have not heard the word of God, or who have heard it, perhaps, but have fallen away. St. Paul said in his, of his mission to the Gentiles, such is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of chains, like a criminal. He was persecuted for spreading the faith, but this did not stop him. Not infrequently we hear Christians expressing the concern that perhaps in the near future, the Christian faith will come under similar persecution. And I don't doubt that in many respects. But we have to ask ourselves as Christians a very important question. How many of us are practicing and proclaiming our faith in such a way that anybody would ever bother to arrest us for it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.